Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Acts chapter 1, and uh, beginning in, the, in verse number 6, the word of the Lord reads, so when, he had come, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. The 18th century missionary to India, Henry Martin, once wrote, The Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. So we are finally here at the final part of our series titled All In, you know, Life on Mission. And uh, in this series, we've been really talking about what, what the mission of Christ is and, and our parts in that mission. In fact, from the very beginning, we talked about the fact that Jesus came into the world on a mission, and that mission was to save sinners. And you, if you put your trust in Christ, a sinner, were saved by Jesus, by his, by his grace. Jesus shed his, shed his blood on the cross to save you, right? But not just for you. He saved you for a reason, And that reason is so that you can join him on this mission to save sinners. And your part in the mission, as he tells us, is to go and make disciples. He tells us in Matthew, go and make disciples of all the nations, which means we're to go into the world around us and tell people about Jesus and then help them to get plugged into um, a local church and then to help them to grow and become mature in their faith so they go out into the world and make more disciples. And we talked about the fact that you, because you have been reborn and because you have been remade, you are uniquely equipped for that task. You've been equipped by God himself for this mission. You've been remade into something new. The Bible tells us you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God can and will use your ransom life to shine the light of Jesus and the light of the gospel for all around you to see. And you, as you go about this mission... You do so by declaring the gospel and the truth of Christ with your mouth, but you demonstrate the love of God in your actions. Right? You tell people about the love of Jesus, but then you also show them the love of God. And then we talked about the fact that the time is now. Right? The time is now to be mobilized for this. The time is now to be involved in the redemptive mission of Jesus Christ. The time is now for you to go out into the world and begin to fulfill the great commission. And we, in the last several weeks, have covered really a lot of ground and talked a lot about this in, in, in the first few weeks of this series. And as we talked about over and over and over again, you are to fulfill this mission everywhere you go. We're to make disciples everywhere, which means you do this at home. You're to make disciples at work. You're to make disciples at school or at the Boron Food Market or Friday night, you know, at the football game, even though it was the worst officiated game in the history of all football games, right? You're to make disciples when you go to Lancaster, when you go shopping or when you go on vacation or when you get together at Thanksgiving with all your unbelieving family. This is something you're supposed to do everywhere you go. The scope of the Great Commission, the scope of the mission of Christ is literally everywhere. It is the entire world, which is what we're going to wrap up talking about today. We're going to talk about and spend some time unpacking the full scope of our mission. Our mission is the entire world which is something Jesus really clearly talks about and communicates in his word. And again, we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 1. But before we, we get there, let me, let me just kind of set this up for you. You see, this is at the time when Jesus has already died on the cross. He was already crucified and he was already dead. They'd already buried him. He laid in the tomb for three days and then he was resurrected. And Jesus then appeared to his apostles and to other people and to over 500 people and he, and he was visible to his apostles for over 40 days, for about 40 days. And so this is really an incredible part of the story because the disciples of Christ are now spending up close personal time, not just simply with the guy they hung out with for three years, but with the resurrected King Jesus. And now their eyes are really kind of beginning to open. They understand really who Jesus is. He's not just this Jewish Messiah. He is God in the flesh. And by this point in the story, 
that Jesus had spent more than a month with them, and he's teaching them, and he's training them up, and he's preparing them for the next phase of redemptive history, which is the very beginning of the church. And at this particular time in history, Jesus brings them to a mountain, right? And he's, he's there because he wants to give them the final instructions he has for them before he leaves, because Jesus is about to actually ascend into heaven, and he's going to give them, he's not going to be with them physically anymore, and so he is going to give them literally his last words here on earth. Now, if there are any words that are important in a person's life, typically their last words qualify. When, when a person, it comes to that place in their life when they're going to give their final words, that's usually a good time to, to sit and listen because they're important. And it's the same here. What Jesus is about to say to his followers is really critically important for them and for the rest of the world. And so Jesus brings them up to this mountain, and they're standing there together, and just before he gives his disciples this final admonition, these final instructions, before he can say anything, his disciples jump in and ask him a question. And beginning in verse 6, it reads, So then, when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel. You have to understand from a historical perspective that this, this is actually a pretty reasonable question for them to ask. And it's reasonable for a couple reasons. Number one, see, as Jews, as, as devout Jews, they have an intertestamental understanding of the Messiah. You see, there was this period of time between the Old and New Testament where, where, where the Jews... Had to, really had to spend a lot of time thinking and meditating on what is this, what's this all about, what's it going to mean? And they begin to develop these ideas, you know, based on Scripture, what the Messiah was like. And they had this very clear picture in their mind what, what, what the Messiah was. And, and, and at this moment, they believed that Jesus, the reason why he came, was to, to restore Israel itself to worldwide prominence, prominence once again. It was their belief that through Jesus, that he would certainly rule the entire world, but, but they were asking about the kingdom of Israel itself. Will you now restore that kingdom? Because at that moment, they were looking for, for a literal, physical kingdom on earth. They were looking for the end of the age, which, by the way, is exactly what we're looking for. We're all looking for the return of Christ we're all looking for Jesus to come back and make all things right. We are all looking for Jesus to come back and restore creation to what it's supposed to be. We're looking back, you know, and, and we're looking forward to that time when Jesus will finally physically reign and rule heaven and earth when it comes together. In fact, that's the picture that's painted for us in Revelation chapter 21. It says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the seas were no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God." He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah, that's what we are looking for. That is what we hope for. That's what we long for. And similarly, the disciples were looking for that too. They just had no idea in that moment the full scope of Christ's mission that he had started. Right? They just assumed that it would take place in Jerusalem and then in Israel and then somehow that it would just magically radiate from, from there. They didn't realize that they were called to be a part of, of, of bringing that to a reality. And so they assumed that, that, that all of this was just going to take place really, really soon, which seems, again, reasonable at the time because they had just experienced the most incredible supernatural activity known to man. I mean, think about this. They just spent three and a half years watching Jesus perform incredible miracles. He had healed people, right? He'd healed the sick, and not just, you know, one or two of them, but dozens and even hundreds of them. He gave sight to the blind. He restored hearing to the deaf. He made the mute talk again. He cast out demons. He took a couple of loaves of bread and some fish and fed 5,000 people with baskets full left over. They watched him walk on water. They watched him rebuke the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him. 
They even watched Jesus raise people from the dead, even Lazarus, who was in the tomb for four days. And if that weren't enough, right, they witnessed Jesus carry his own cross to Calvary. And they, after he'd been whipped and beaten to a bloody pulp, they watched him being nailed to the cross. They watched him suffering right, and crying out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they saw him die. They saw the, the, the spear pierce his side and the blood and the water rushed out, proving that he was, in fact, a dead man. And they witnessed him being wrapped in his grave clothes and put it in the grave. And then they witnessed the stone being rolled in front of the tomb. And then three days later, they witnessed the empty tomb. And then they witnessed with their own eyes, Jesus himself resurrected from the dead. And then they had just spent 40 days with the resurrected Christ. They were witness to the most prolific supernatural activity in the world that the world had ever experienced to that point. So naturally, it must have really felt like they were really close to the end. It must have felt like that something was gonna, big was going to happen now, right? That Jesus was coming back tomorrow. And it, it had to feel like, like he, was, uh, he was about to literally ascend to the, the, king of David, I mean, to the throne of King David. And that he was going to establish his physical kingdom on earth right now. Right? That's why they asked him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now? Is, is now the time for you to complete your redemptive work? Is now the time for the end of the age? Right. Now what's interesting is that every generation since that time, all the way up to now, has been looking towards the heavens, asking the very same question. Lord, is the time now? Is the time now for you to come back and set things right? Is, it, is now the time for the end of the age? Even today, we still ask this question. Every generation that has, that has come about has looked at their circumstances around them, has looked at what's happening in the world around them and thought, the end times are upon us. Right? I mean, it has to be, or, or at least it has to be really soon. I mean, I mean look how things are. I, I mean, I mean... He must be coming at least tomorrow or at least really, 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 really soon. I mean, just look at the world, right? Look what's happening in the world and look at the Bible. It's so clear, we tell ourselves. It's so clear that he has to come back now. Every generation has thought that. And the truth be told, we right now are closer to that time than any previous generation, obviously. 2,000 years removed, we are certainly closer. And when you do look around the world, you can see that history is going somewhere, that there is a direction that the Bible gives us an indication of, that there's, there's a direction that, that the world is moving to. We can see right now in our time, Christians falling away. We can see right now people abandoning truth. We can see the evil. In fact, not only is evil and, and, and sin condoned, but it's, it's celebrated so we can see that, yes, the time is nearer. But, but as we ask the question, and as we anticipate with bated breath, as we stand on our tiptoes looking to the heavens waiting for Jesus, let us remember what Jesus told his disciples. He said to them, it is not, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. I'm, I'm going to say that again. It is not... For you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority. It is not for you to know. And let me be clear about this. If it wasn't for Peter to know, if it wasn't for John to know, if it wasn't for James to know, the three closest people to Jesus in his earthly mission, if it wasn't for them to know, then it's certainly not for you to know. And it's certainly not for me to know. Right? And it really doesn't matter how many, how many Bible pro prophecy conferences that they have in our country. It doesn't matter how many books get sold on the subject. It doesn't matter you know, how many experts seem to make a compelling case for their own version of, of, of future historical events. It doesn't matter how convincing somebody might be in predicting the end. And people do still try to do that. It's not for them to know. It is not for you to know. It is not for me to know. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, we are to anticipate Jesus coming back. Yes, we are to live expecting his return any moment. Yes, we are looking forward to that time because that certainly is our hope. It is my hope for Jesus to come back and to make all things right. 
to, to where there is no more pain or sorrow or tears, where we live in the presence of God forever and ever and ever, who is our treasure. We are to, we are to anticipate and look forward to Christ's imminent return, but we need to understand that this is not our greatest concern. Because notice what Jesus says next. He says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but instead, right, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, what Jesus is saying to us is, is I know that you're looking for me to come back, and I know that you're ready for me to to establish my my physical kingdom on on earth, right? But that is not your major concern right now. That's not what you're supposed to be focused on. I mean, you can certainly think about it, but that's not what you're supposed to focus on. You're supposed to actually focus on the task that I've already given for you to do. You are supposed to focus on what it it is that I've already started in the world. Now, what did he give them to do? It's a great commission. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what he told them. He said, make disciples of all nations. But notice, right, these men are asking if Jesus is going to establish his kingdom right now, even though Jesus has already given them a global commission. Jesus said, go make disciples of the nations. Not some of them, all of them. You see, Jesus has made it clear that the gospel is supposed to be spread around the entire world. In fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about this very question, the end of the age. They asked him, when's the end going to come? And he starts to give them some indications and some events that are related to the end of the age. Things I think that many of us Christians are very familiar with. We've heard before and even said before. Stuff that even gets quoted over and over again on Facebook. Right? When, something, when something happens in the world. Right? Where Jesus says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. For nations will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And people today will look at this text. And every time a conflict breaks out, and every time a new conflict breaks out in the world, you'll hear people say, well, you know what? We must be near the end because you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Or every time that there's an earthquake, people will begin to post Facebook memes with with the scripture. and, and, And they will be like, you see, Jesus is coming back right any minute because of earthquakes in various places. But the problem is... One of the verses that, that, that we forget and one of the verses that, that the disciples forget that's in this same context and a part of the same conversation is what Jesus said in Matthew twenty four fourteen, And he said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. You see, Jesus made it clear that the end of the age is not coming until the Great Commission gets fulfilled. He said that the gospel will be preached throughout the entire world, and then the end comes. Jesus came on a mission to save sinners, and, 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 and a, a mission that every Christ follower, every believer who has ever lived is to, be, is to be a part of. And the scope of that mission is the entire world. We're to make disciples of all the nations. And Jesus said that, that the end will, will not come until the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations. And what you need to understand is when Jesus says nations here, he is not talking about governmental nations. Okay? He's not talking about nations in a political sense. He's not talking about a country with a defined border and a centralized government. When, when, when we see the word nations here, what we have to understand that this is translated from a Greek word uh, uh, that's pronounced ethnos. And this is the word that we derive ethnic or ethnicity. And so when Jesus says nations or ethnos, what he's referring to is people groups. People who are defined by their ethnicity or their culture and language. For example... In our country, in the United States, we have multiple individual people groups, groups of people with their own languages and culture. In fact, there are people groups in the United States still today that were here before 
Western Europeans got here. They were their own people groups. They're their own nations. And it's this way all around the world. In fact, I met, once met a lady from China. But she says, I'm not Chinese. I'm Burmese. Even though she lives under the political regime of China, I'm Burmese. Because why? Because she, she was born in Burma with her own language, Burmese, and she didn't even speak Mandarin. Right? There was, that was her culture and her language. And within every nation, there are many people groups. In fact... It's estimated to be in the world around us that there are 17,000 individual people groups in the world today based on their ethnicity and language. Of these 7 billion people, they are divided in these 17,000 people groups that are they're divided amongst ethnic and, and linguistic categories. And according to this uh, to a current estimate right now, in this moment, nearly 41% of those groups are still completely unreached for the gospel. That's over 7,000 individual people groups. That's nearly 3 billion people inside those groups that are unreached. And when I say unreached, I mean really unreached. Right? People that have never heard the gospel. People have never even met a Christian or seen a Bible. In the United States, we have a lot of unconverted, but we don't have unreached Right? Because, because people are surrounded by the gospel here in our country. The vast majority of Americans have heard the name of Jesus. They have heard the gospel. They have seen a Bible. They have Christian friends. They know, you know, they have churches in their community. Right? And, so, and so in our country, we're not unreached. So when I say unreached, we're talking about people groups that have never even ever been exposed to the gospel at all, or Christians at all, or Christian culture at all. Right, for example, Yemen has a population of 23 million people, which is slightly less than Texas. 23 million people in the country of Yemen, but yet there are less than 1,000 active Christians in the entire country. I think it's actually less than that. I think it's a really like, like a, a generous estimate. But that's less than like 0.004% or 4 you know, thousands of a percent of the population. And to put that in perspective, if you take Boron and took all the Christians in California and they, and, and they were the population of Boron right now compared to the population of California, that would be about a, a reasonable assessment of, of, of the population that, that's represented there. If all the Christians in California were the, the 2,500 people that live here compared to the 30-something million people living in California, that's a pretty good approximation of the influence of Christianity. Right? In fact, there are actually more churches in Boron proper. I'm talking about, not even talking about um, North Edwards, but in just Boron, there's more churches here than in the entire country of Yemen. That's what I mean by unreached. And as it stands right now, there are 7,000 people groups that are still unreached to that degree. 7,000 nations that have not had the gospel proclaimed to them. Now, does that mean that Jesus can't come tomorrow? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Because the fact of the matter is, is that God can do whatever he wants to do. And if he wanted to mobilize the gospel right now to every, so everybody can hear it, it would happen. Right? The fact of the matter is, is and, and the other issue is, is that what we believe to be people groups might not exactly be exactly what God calls people groups. What we're doing is the best that we can to approximate the, the language. Maybe it's not 7,000, maybe it's like, you know, maybe it's 3,500, maybe it's 20. You know, in, in God's eyes, he really knows how those linguistic and cultural lines break down. All we can do is read the word to the best of our ability, apply it, and live the definition set forth in the word. And Jesus said that the gospel must be proclaimed throughout the world to all the nations, or ethnos, and then the end will come. So just like the disciples, we're looking around and we're, we're asking the question, is it now, which Again, it was what the disciples were doing. They were looking at their circumstances and what was happening around them, and they were asking, is the time now? And Jesus reminded them, just as he reminds us, right, that we're not going to know the time that he has in his own plan. But he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Or in essence... Before you worry about the coming end of the age, worry about doing what I've called you to do. Right? You look for my coming, great. Be expectant, awesome. But don't forget that there's a lot of work to do right now. 
I've already commanded you to go into all the nations and preach the gospel. I've already told you to go and make disciples of all the nations of every single people group. And in order for you to do that, I am equipping you with the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to empower you. I'm giving the the Holy Spirit to empower you so you can actually accomplish this. Because you're to be my witnesses starting where you are in Jerusalem and then further out in Judea, and then further out into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Your job is to get busy making disciples and sharing the gospel and being a witness to my goodness all over the world. And after that, Jesus, after he said that, he ascends into heaven. It says in verse 9, And when he said these things, as they were looking, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's the last thing that he said. That's the last instructions he gave while he was on earth. He said, you're not going to know. It's not for you to know when the end is coming. But you need to be my witnesses right here, right now, and to the end of the earth. So Christians, what this tells us is if there is a reason for the church to exist, it is to move forward the mission of Christ. Yes, absolutely in this church. We want people to come here because they need to be healed. Yes, we are to bear one another's burdens. Yes, we are to be here for one another. We are to draw closer in in fellowship. We are here to come and sing songs and worship the Lord. But all of those things ultimately serve the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is to create spiritually maturing Christ followers all over the world. All the things that we do here, all that we are, all that we invest in, are all driven towards that end. From the way that we worship and sing songs, whether it's meditative or declarative, from the way that we administer the church's business and, and handle the money, from the way that we do children's ministry, right? For the, from the way that we, we have prayer groups, all of our efforts are founded on this singular mission of making disciples in the entire world, the spread of the gospel around the world. That is why we're here. That is why you were saved, All of us have been called to share the hope of Christ with our community and the world. Now, I want you to notice what what Jesus is, is communicating here. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then all of Judea, and then Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You see, one of the problems I think that we can fall into is we tend to see missions one dimensionally. We are either all in for local missions and local ministry, or we're all in for global missions. In fact, I had a pastor friend of mine that was, was talking about how, how frustrated he was because there's so many church leaders that he knows that are just so excited and on, on fire for missions to far-flung places in the world, and they raise incredible amounts of money, and that's what they talk about all the time. And it's, it's everything that, 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 that they're all about, but they're ignoring the need for the gospel in their own community. There's just not any missionaries at home. But look at what Jesus is actually saying to us. He says to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is their hometown, their immediate community, and then Judea, which is kind of like the county or, or, or state or maybe even a small country, and then Samaria, which would be like a neighboring county or, or state or small country, and then, then to the ends of the earth. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture for us of the all-inclusive nature of our mission. The scope of our mission is literally everywhere. Your mission as a believer is to be a witness everywhere, and that begins in your home. You're to be a living, visible witness of Christ in your home. You're to share the gospel with your family. You're to be the light of Christ for your spouse. You're to be the light of Christ for your, your children and your siblings and your parents. In fact, The primary responsibility of discipleship for your family does not fall on me or the church. The primary responsibility for discipleship for your family does not fall on me or the church. It falls on you. You are the one who's primarily responsible to help your family members to know Christ and help them to follow Jesus. So your mission begins at home. And then you're to be a witness spreading out the gospel at work and at school, and and in your social activities. You're to be a witness throughout your entire neighborhood and your entire community. Everywhere your feet touch the ground in your community, you're to be a light that shines for Christ in your actions, in your attitudes, and in your words. 
that you're to be a, a witness you know, whenever you travel, whether it's to Lancaster for groceries or to Los Angeles for um, your doctor's appointments or, or New York for your vacation. And you're to be a witness in your entire state and in your entire country and in, in the entire world. Okay? I want you to hear me on this. This is, this is the part you might like go, what? You are personally responsible. We are personally responsible to help spread the gospel over the entire world. You are personally responsible to help spread the gospel over the entire world. And that right there is a truth that most of us really don't think about. I mean, really. When was the last time that you thought to yourself, you know what, I'm personally responsible to make sure that the gospel gets spread and, and, and disciples get made right, from my family to the entire world. When, when, like, we just don't normally think that way. We don't think in those terms. I mean, when you go to the gym to watch a volleyball game, right, or you go to the, the football field to watch a football game, do you think to yourself, I am personally responsible to spread the, the gospel of Christ everywhere I go, including to all these people that I'm around? When you hear about the hurricane in, in Florida and you think about the devastation, do you think to yourself, you know what, I'm personally responsible somehow to do something to help spread the gospel there. When you hear about the man who, who the, the pastor who was set free in Turkey, do you think to yourself, you know what, there's a whole bunch of people that need Jesus over there. I'm personally responsible somehow to, to, to influence that in some way to spread the gospel there too. I mean, when you, when you think to yourself about, or if you think to yourself about it, do you ever see the world as your own personal mission field? Do you ever, do you ever see yourself as a, as a missionary to the entire world? The trouble is we just don't think this way. We hear, you know, the Great Commission, and we really sincerely don't think to ourselves, you know, that, that applies to me. We just don't. I mean, when, now when Jesus says, okay, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age, you go, yeah, that applies to me. Jesus is always going to be with me because he said he's going to always be with me. But when we come to this part right here where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, we don't think that applies specifically to me. We don't think of ourselves as being responsible to the world to share Christ, but, but Paul certainly did. He said, he goes, I'm under obligation um, to, to both Greeks and barbarians, to both the wise and the foolish, I am, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, first the Jew and, and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul understood he was obligated to everyone to spread the gospel everywhere. And he went all around the Mediterranean world to make that a reality. But we don't individually think that way because somewhere inside of us, we've not fully let go of the idea that our salvation is somehow about us. I love Jesus. I'm saved. I go to church. I sing worship songs. I give a little bit in the offering plate. I pray with my kids at mealtime. I even get offended when the government tries to do something and take away my religious freedoms. But the rest of my life is really about me. Because it's all about my wants and desires and, and plans and comforts. I'm, I'm a Christian, right? But I'm not all, you know, all in in every part of my life. I'm not sold out to make disciples for the world. Yes, I might share my faith because Pastor Sherman won't leave me alone until I actually talk to somebody about it, right? But, but I'm not seeing myself as a global Christian on a global mission. And I want you to understand, this is not a criticism from me to you. This is a criticism of me. I'm going to be the first one to wear this. This is a criticism of me. This is a criticism of who I am and who I can be. And understand, I don't blame you. I don't, I don't blame the fact that, that we don't think this way, right? I blame the way that we've done church over the last century. We have built churches who have these, these, these focuses that are just very like, niche-like. They, they focus on local ministry alone, or, they, or they, they focus on global mission alone. And what's worse is we kind of painted this picture that the church institutionally, buildings and, 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 and organizations, you know, 
that, that that is the center point for all missions activity and, and fulfilling this mission. That the church is a nonprofit organization is what drives missions. But that is not the truth. The truth is the church, the people of the church individually, those are the ones who are the center point for fulfilling this mission. Yes, we are to work together corporately and pool our resources together. But we are all, hear me, we're all individually responsible for this mission. All of us, brother, brothers and sisters, we are called to be global missionaries. All of us. That's why you were saved, to be a global missionary. You were called to be on, on mission to the entire world. Your mission field is the entire world. Now, you hear me say something like that, I know you're probably thinking, okay, you're crazy. Right? Pastor then lost his mind. I mean, how in the world am I going to be a missionary to the entire world? I have a job, I have four kids, I have a mortgage payment, student loans, and more than I have students' council meetings, you know, next week. What do you mean, missionary to the world? Boy, your butter has slipped right off your biscuit. And believe me, I understand that reaction. But we don't think like this. We think about our lives first. We think about what we have to do first. We think about what's going on around us first. How am I going to pay this bill? I hope I can get to the pharmacy on time. I hope my, my son's knee gets better so he can play this weekend. Right? I wonder if anybody likes my picture on Instagram. Right? We, we see, the thing is, we don't think like this because we aren't fully orienting our lives and our hearts and our minds around God and his program. You don't think of yourself as a, as a global missionary because you don't think in global missionary terms. I mean, let me ask you a question. When you, th when you think about all the things that you're excited about, the things that you are super passionate about, the things that you think maybe in your mind, like, oh man, if I could just live long enough to see this happen, right? Do you wish for, are you passionately longing for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached to the entire world? Is that on the list? I mean, there are probably people in this room right now who are, who are praying and hoping they live long enough to see the Dodgers not blow it and actually win the World Series, Right? I mean, that, I mean there, there is that, that passion, right? Is, is the list of, on your list of passions, are you actively longing for a time where, the, where there are believers of Christ in every tribe and every tongue? Probably not. Why not? Because somewhere in all of us, we still believe that our life and our salvation is really about us and not God and his mission and his plan and purpose. Somewhere we believe God saved me so I can be happy. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to like point fingers here, but that's the bottom line truth. That somewhere in us, we, we, we see that. Like, God loved me and wanted me to be happy, so he saved me. Instead of, I am so happy that God saved me so I can be a part of the mission that he is on. That me, a broken sinner, can participate in this plan of redemption that he has given me the privilege of that. You see, what we need is really not so much a change in our location. Because we're not all called to go physically to move to another state. We might be global missionaries, but we're not called, right, all of us to go to another country and begin preaching the gospel. We're not called to actually travel around the globe, you know, planting churches everywhere we go. What we need is not so much a change in our location. What we need, rather, is a change in our hearts. We need to understand that salvation and our redeemed lives are to be offered to God as a living sacrifice. That every part of our life, every part of our life is to be enlisted in the service to God. Every part. Your life as a parent. Your life as a child to your parents. Your life as an employee or a student. Your life as a community leader. Your life as a teammate. Your life as a citizen and a taxpayer. Your life as a stranger to other people around you, your love life, your home life, your work life, your thought life, your financial life, all of it is to be enlisted in the service of God in order to achieve his global mission. 
You and I need to embrace the fact that we belong to God. And as such, we are being called to participate in his redemptive mission on a global scale. We are to be global missionaries. Now, as intimidating as that sound, I'm not saying that you need to pack up and move to Ethiopia tomorrow. Okay, that's not where we're going. But how does this work? Well, how do we live in light of this? How do we become global missionaries? Because, because again, we're not all going to travel the world planting and evangelizing. So where do we begin? Well, it begins with us orienting and centering our entire lives around God. Actually, this is the answer to a lot of questions that we face. Is this is the answer to many of the issues that we face in our lives. Is that we are to orient our lives, every part of our lives is to be centered on Christ. Christ needs to be the very center of everything, from home to work to school to hobbies. Everything we do, including even the laundry, every part of our lives is to be lived to the glory of God. Every part of our lives is to be lived mindful of God's purposes. As Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or, whether you, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your entire life is to be lived in a way that reflects and glorifies God himself. That's the beginning. God must be the center point of every part of your life. And then, practically speaking, there are several things that we can do, several ways that we can live this out as global missionaries that aren't quite so intimidating as moving to Pakistan. There are several practical ways to participate in God's global mission, and the first one is probably the most important, and that is to pray. We need to be sold out for God's mission to the point we are continually praying for its fulfillment. One of the questions I had a pastor ask of me that I also ask in return of other people, because it really made me think, is if everything that you prayed for last week, if it came true this week, would the world change? Are your prayers really that big? We need to be praying for the fulfillment of God's mission. We also ought to be praying every single day for that. And we should be praying for other individuals in our lives and in their ministries. We should be praying for all of, of the missionaries we support as a church. Right? We should be praying that God's word would be proclaimed around the world. We should be praying that he will be glorified by the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. We should be praying for God to reveal to us how we're supposed to get involved in that mission. So it, it should be the prayer of our lives that God would fulfill his promise of the gospel of, of Christ to be spread around the earth. That should be, number one for us, is prayer. Number two, right, is to encourage. That might seem like really simplistic, but I'm telling you, it's important. We need to encourage other people in their ministries and in their missions. We as the body of Christ should be the most encouraging people in the entire world. We should be encouraging other people who are on the front lines or who do, are doing the work. You should be encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ and the things that they're doing. We should be saying thank you to the teachers and, and thank you to the deacons and, and to the volunteers who work to further the kingdom, who volunteer their time from teaching a class to mopping the floors. We should be... Th- encouraging and thanking other ministers as well. I'm sure many of you have at least listened to another pastor online or watched YouTube videos. You should reach out to them, send them a note, and say thank you for what you're doing. I want you to know it. It's touched my life. Or maybe <clears throat> even other pastors in our own community who are doing a good job loving their, their, their own church and loving our community. We should be encouraging them and reaching out to them and, and thanking them. Saying, I appreciate the fact that you're standing for the gospel. When was the last time that you've encouraged actually somebody who was in the ministry position, whether it's full-time or a volunteer? When's the last time you said, hey, you know what? I'm just grateful for the fact that you're standing in the gap for our, our town or for, for our kids or for or whatever. And even more than that, we should be encouraging those in the local church to explore what God's calling them to do. We should be encouraging them to seek God's wisdom and direction and call for their life. Are there members of this church who are being called to go and plant churches. That might sound strange, but that's what God does. Are there young people in this congregation that are being called into pastoral ministry? There have been pastors that have come out of this church. Are there young people in our congregation that are called to to go on global missions to another country, whether they're long-term or short-term? We should be encouraging one another, and we should be encouraging our missionaries that we support. 
Every month we get letters, and we put them up right there on the bulletin board from our missionaries around the world, right? And, and, and they let us know what's going on with them. In fact, they, you know, they also have, you know, social media platforms, most of them, like Facebook and Twitter. And my question is, is how many of you have actually written a letter or a note to them and say, thank you, right? And encourage them on Facebook or sending them a message, you know, and saying, thank you, right? Letting them know, I get, I get your updates, right? And we talk about them. But, but, like, how many of us actually take the initiative to reach out and say, we're just grateful that you are over there in the Philippines, you know, preaching in a building that has a dirt floor, reaching people for the gospel of Christ. Keep going, brother. Now, if that's something that God puts on your heart, there's a list back there of all the addresses where you can actually send a note. And if you want their Facebook connections, I can, I can hook you up there as well. All right, but the fact is, we need to be encouraging. It's an important part of of being global missionaries. We should be praying, number one. Number two, encouraging. And number three is giving. This is the part of, 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 of global missions and local missions that gets overlooked. Right? Those of us who, those of you who may not been, have been called to, to participate in actually going somewhere, you can certainly give. In fact, that's probably the easiest way to make a direct impact on, on the gospel being spread around the world because missionaries need financial support to do their work. And, and, and this is so important to us at First Baptist Church. We've actually made a, a point to, to augment the support that we give. In fact, we give of every dollar that's brought in, we give a percentage of that to missions. Years ago, we, we operated where people actually made a commitment to give a certain amount. And then we actually gave what was collected and what was committed and what was collected. It wasn't always the exact same. You know, that's just kind of the way that works. And we were also very, you know, grateful for the fact that people contributed, right, um, but the thing is, is we wanted to make sure that we were, were supporting the missionaries actively. So six years ago, when I became the pastor, we decided to make sure that we're supporting the missionaries to the best of our abilities. And what we've done is we, we take 10% of everything we bring in here um, and that we give it away to missions every quarter. No matter what happens then, we know that this church is supporting missionaries. And... and, and and anything additional that people decide to give as well goes to them. So what that means, for example, is if you tithe, 10% of your tithe is going to go to missions, and then if you throw in a few extra bucks and say missions specifically, that 10% and the extra goes to the missionaries. That way, every single individual in this church is supporting a missionary, and you can also then, by giving an extra gift, you can also then add to that if you, if, if you so desire or God moves you to do that. So we are, number one, called to pray Two, encourage. Three is to give. And number four, it's to go. We are all called to make disciples. We are all called to go. Now, we might not all be called to go the same distance, but we are all called to go. The question is, is what, God, what has God called you to? Has he called you to be in the local mission and field where you make disciples of your coworkers? I promise you, there's a mission field right there. U.S. Borax, the solar fields, those are mission fields. There are people who are desperately broken who need to be reached for the gospel of Christ. Is that where God has called you to be on mission? Has God made you, called you to make disciples of people that you meet in Lancaster? Do you go to the mall and pass out tracts and talk to people there? Is that what God's called you to do? Has God called you to start a nonprofit organization like the Boron Kids Outreach Program where we minister to and disciple children? Or has God called you to participate in the church somewhere else? Or has God called you to, to move to another state and participate in another church somewhere in, in the mission work that they're doing there? Or has God called you to short-term mission trips to another country? Right? Maybe God's calling you to, to another continent. And I say, don't, God won't call me that. I'm just going to tell you, when I became a Christian, there's two things I said I would never do. I'd never tell anybody my story, and I'd never preach. God's in control, not me, and not you. God might just be calling you to go to another country or continent. Brothers and sisters, hear me on this. Wherever it is, and wherever it is that you need to go, you just need to go. You just need to follow it. We are global missionaries. Even if we, even if we stay right here at home, we need to pray and encourage and give and go and do all that God is calling us all to do. Whether it's right here in Boron for the rest of your life, or whether it's in some far-flung place, we are all called to be all in and on mission for Christ. That's what we're called to. And I hope that 
And this last six weeks have made that really, really clear. And I have one question left to ask before we finish. And it's the question we've asked over and over again, so I'll ask it one more time. Are you or are you not all in and on mission for Christ? I pray that you would be. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm grateful to your word, even when it beats me up, even when it convicts me deeply about my own shortcomings. And I pray, Father, this would be really the prayer of our hearts, Lord, to just be all in and understand that the impact of what we're supposed to do isn't just supposed to be our own lives. It's supposed to be global. And Lord, I certainly understand we're not all going to go places and we're not going to, some of us might not ever leave this country or even leave the state. But I do know that we all have a part to play, that we have a way to participate, whether it's through prayer or encouragement or giving. And I do know, Lord, that, that we all make an impact on the rest of the world when we do what we're called to do even right here, when we, when we meet people where they need to be met and we love them where they, where they are and we tell them about the beauty and the, and the love of Jesus Christ, Lord. We, I know that that impacts the world. Father, help us to see that every part of our life is to be on mission for you. Even the most mundane things, even making dinner and brushing our teeth, we, we to do all things to your glory, mindful of you and mindful of how you can use all of our circumstances in a way that helps us connect and love and reach other people. And I pray, Father God, that you would be glorified in that and that you would raise up a people in this little church, Lord, that this little church in Boron would have a global impact for Jesus. And I pray that it would be our mission that, that you'd raise up a people right here, Lord, who would go out in this community and that every creature in this community would hear the gospel and that we would go out into the rest of the world and that you would be glorified in our lives. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.